woke up from a nap and I'm like all over the place. Jamie, it sounds like you are no way just got to get right, man. I'm gonna say now, uh, wait, wait, who sings that song again? Soft Cell. Soft Cell? What's the difference between a soft cell and a hard cell? Isn't that a thing in like... Firmness, I would say. <laughs> you wait yet? Oh, you're proud of that one. Did you get so British in that song? What do you mean? I've got to you. Get away, I've got to you. Get away. <laughs> I've got to have a spot of tea. I've got a biscuit. Yeah. British is the only accent that we do on the podcast other than like... I just, you do all sorts of accents. I guess so, yeah. You've done Scottish, Irish. Oh, yeah. But I had to retire that accent because it got poorly reviewed by an Irish listener. I don't know when I ever stopped you before. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not close enough with any British people for them to be like, can you stop that? It's embarrassing. I don't think you would, even if they said you. Your British accent is disabled. Right. Right, exactly. Uh, your hair looks good today. Does Does someone feel uh, in the office feel guilty? For making my hair look good? No, they're like, oh, you know what? I better spend a couple extra moments on Tony's hair because we've been neglecting him lately. No, it's actually, they make fun of me all the time because I'll be like, like every time I go to the bathroom, I have to tilt back a bit and then... Sometimes the headrest kind of messes with my hair. And I'll always be like, can you just fix my hair? Because I can, it like falls down into my face. And so they make fun of me. They're like, oh, yeah, I make sure you look good. So it's a, it's a whole thing. I'm, I'm sorry. So that happened today and then they fixed your hair and now it looks really good? Yeah. Oh, okay. I never see the other side of your of your head. I realize I always see the one profile of your face, but I don't see the other profile. Here, let me show you right now. Wait, is it like, is it literally unsightly? I think it's just another side of my face. Oh, look at that. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice side. Okay, well, at least I get your good side. <laughs> yeah, I do think that this is my better side. <laughs> Thank you for confirming. Yeah, no problem. Now, can you turn around so I can see the back of your head? No, it's just bald. Is it actually? It might be, I don't know. Probably is bald. Don't worry turn about around. it. It doesn't, no. Turn around. No. Because if I turn around, I'm, I'm going to inevitably snag a cord and pull everything off my desk Jamie, like an asshole. Jamie. Hey, Tony. Uh, yeah? What's going on in your life? What is going on in my life? Yeah, besides your inner monologue of music. I got my locks changed today. Oh, you did get your locks changed. I did. You know what's funny? I wonder if the lock company, like colluded already with the tenant care so they already have the keys to your new deadbolt no they don't but they definitely knew what was up because i well i mean I, I already explained to them but the guy who came to do the work was like all right so here's a key for you and here's a key for your staff yeah yeah your life sounds increasingly like the metcalf redemption <laughs> like, like there's like, I mean, the... like it's not go ahead sorry there's pros and cons Oh, yeah? Tell me the pros, please. Be 24-hour security of having someone here when I need them. Even when you don't want them? Yeah, but it's better than, like, I have to pee and I can't find someone. Okay, another pro, please. That's a pretty good pro. 
I don't live with my parents roasted. <laughs> Set myself up for that. Okay, another pro. You're not me. Well, that's not the pro. That's a con. <laughs> Just Aww. the living situation. Yeah, the living situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't have enough room in your apartment for a custom set of stairs constructed by your dad. That's a con. One more con is that I'm not Jamie and that I'm Anthony. <laughs> Sorry, this time has literally been on repeat in my head for like three days. I feel like I don't really have to be here today. Is that true? No. No. Why are you saying that? <laughs> no reason. Do you think I could do show? this on my own? There's no I way. You probably could, yeah, at least for, you know, no, the length of a no shower. So today's episode was the length of a shower. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If we manage to talk 90 minutes about a 12-minute f- short film, I think we have a problem. Oh, and by we, I mean me. What's new with you? You seem rather tired today. I'm kind of, like, a little bit depressed today, if I'm perfectly honest. Yeah? Yeah, I don't know, like... It's just a confluence of things, not a whole lot going on at work and kind of transitioning to the new season, which is exciting. But I haven't had people around because friends of mine have been sick lately and I'm just trying to be extra cautious. I'm nervous about the the new strain in Hong Kong because every year around this time, we ease restrictions and then on comes a new strain and then a reevaluation of all these measures and I don't know if it's going to happen again, but now that I'm reading stories about long COVID and the kinds of symptoms that people who are asymptomatic when they actually were infected with the virus are now experiencing like heart problems and other complications. And it just makes me Maybe so... Maybe you should like take the ignorance's bliss approach and not read stories about long COVID. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I want to do that, but then to some extent that feels irresponsible. And I don't know... Irresponsible to whom? Well, to the people, to myself, for one thing, for being uninformed, and then to the people around me who might be affected by my getting sick if I'm careless or... But what about the effect on your own mental health? I guess. Yeah. Is it irresponsible to seek out information you know will make you upset? (laughs) Well, if that information reflects reality and reality upsets me, then that's just life. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm not the best person for this because I'm very good at just seeking out convenient realities. I, I like. I I wish I could joke about this or make fun of it or something, but it's really you can make fun of long COVID. Why don't we just call it COVID? <laughs> That's the dumbest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the face you made too (laughs) (laughs) all right let's change the subject anyway but these little things are just kind of they put me in the dumps lately and i'm not really like no it's easy like i get it i don't want to sound like i'm just like just not out of it because i understand you know when you're in that situation it's you can't reason with your own emotions it's just it's a kind of feeling it's like a cloud yeah do you have like tricks that you do though like i know some people will like shop or some people will like watch a thing like that that they go back to all the time yeah do do you have little shortcuts well i 
biking on tier service. It changes my mood. It's like a light switch. Yeah. Have you been doing that? Uh, no, I haven't been doing that because I'm also trying to mitigate pain that I have in my right shoulder that gets inflamed whenever I bike nowadays. So I need to figure out how to bike without shifting my weight on my upper body, which is... Could you get one of those like like seated bikes where you're just in a chair and you're just exercising your legs? Yeah, I mean, that's what I use. I use a stationary bike. But you still have to like support your weight with your shoulders a bit, right? Well, I need my arms to keep my upper body like in place. You know how in my chair I constantly have to push myself back up? Yeah, because you refuse to wear a seatbelt. No, that's not it. It's because my entirely the reason. (laughs) It's because my back is like curved, and so I slide out of it very frequently. And so it's kind of the same thing. I can't hear you anymore. What? You can't hear me. All right, we're live again. We're live. Yeah. Well, technical difficulties. Um, If you don't notice, then that means we're really good at our jobs. Yeah. No kidding. And if you do notice. That means you're really good at your jobs as listeners. <laughs> it's win-win. So yeah, what so, was I saying? Yeah, you were talking about how you know exercise is sort of your shortcut into helping your mental health when it gets into situations like you're in now where it's not as good as ideal. Yeah, where you're in kind of a funk or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does everything. It like. <laughs> It uh, boosts your metabolism. It makes it easier to sleep. You feel better, more confident about yourself, about how you look and stuff. It just like, it changes all dimensions of things that can otherwise put you in a funk. And I was saying, I think I was saying that I need like my stationary bike. I got to put a bunch of weight on my arms because, because I don't sit straight. And so I can't really like, I slide out of any seat that I'm in. (laughs) <laughs> so like and i can't get a fucking seat belt for every single seat in my life did you slide out of your high chair as a kid i uh i don't you'd have to ask my dad i don't rem- remember don't remember ever being on the floor at the front of your high chair <laughs> i was on the floor the floor a lot as a kid because i used to i used to think i was tom cruise from, from mission impossible as a kid you did yeah i, I was I that like think... the first movie you ever saw no the first first action movie i remember watching as a kid was goldeneye really would have been 1995 so maybe that's a little bit late for a little kid to watch an action movie unless you count ace ventura i don't think that's an action movie anyway yeah i used to sidestep a lot like across furniture and i had a dresser that didn't like have like sharp edges or whatever like it, it 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 had like a tapered top, so it was very smooth and there was nothing really to grab onto, but I would always grab onto it. And then I would fall backwards and slam on my back and I would knock the wind out of myself. And it used to happen so often that my mom just thought it was me just fucking around. <laughs> and she, like, I remember her telling my grandma, like, you know, if Jamie falls backwards in his bedroom, don't worry, he's fine. And I distinctly remember winding myself like, have you ever, have you ever knocked the wind out of yourself? Um, yeah, for sure. Like playing sports and stuff. Like as a kid? Yeah. Isn't it a weird feeling? It's like, it actually literally feels like you may never breathe again. It's very weird. Yeah. It does feel like you're drowning in air somehow. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I used to do that. So 
What was I saying? You were on the floor a lot. You were Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, high chairs. Tom Cruise probably doesn't wind himself just moving around his house, but no. I understand the comparison. For sure, yeah. Well, I mean, come on now. It's okay. unmistakable. But um, yeah, I used to crawl and I crawling was how I basically would play as a kid, like all did the way up until... Did you miss a milestone or did, did your parents just... I guess you knew right away, so it wasn't like they had to have a kid. But did you miss milestones? Do you know? What milestones? You know, like walking or sitting or crawling, not in that Like order. developmental milestones? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not, if I did miss any like key milestones growing up, that wouldn't necessarily be something I'd be aware of, right? That'd be something that you would like think in the back of your mind. That'd be something that your parents would tell you about later on in life, I guess. Oh, I don't know if I missed milestones. Like, I don't know if there's like a fucking book on cerebral palsy milestones. Well, there isn't because it's so different for everyone. Yeah. But that is also like, that's how I was diagnosed is they were just like, this kid is really lazy. They don't really seem to around. And then so they'd get me checked and they'd be like, yeah, he doesn't, he seems weak. Like, are you sure you're feeding him? And then it would be, you know, like some kids just develop slower. And then eventually they do a biopsy of, of a muscle. And they did a muscle biopsy in my leg. And then from there, you can kind of tell. Although now you can tell very easily with just a blood test. I think, um, so they didn't know that you had like SMA until you were much older? No, not much older. I was three. That's old. Is it? Yeah. Like I still hadn't seen Mission Impossible yet. <laughs> I can always tell the jokes that you're proud of. <laughs> no, I'm just proud of getting a laugh out of you. Because yeah. I know you're having a down day. Oh. And so, like, it just feels good to make you laugh. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that at all. All right, well, yeah, like, I'm pretty sure that they expected me to have issues because I was so premature. Yeah. It's good you don't have that issue anyway. No, well, now if I'm premature, they're just like, oh, you know, he's like undersexed. So it makes makes sense. <laughs> he's just happy to be here. Uh, <laughs> what was I saying? You used to be Tom Cruise is how I remember it. Yeah, yeah, I used to be Tom Cruise. Well, no, I used to do like, because, you know, uh, you know, I was in karate when I was a young kid. Yeah, of course. And so. That is a CP milestone. For sure. So I used to bunny crawl around my house and pretend that I was like, you know, Jackie Chan. Yeah. And that's how I played. Like I play with action figures on the ground. I'd crawl around and like fight and stuff. That's pretty cool. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. I had a very different upbringing. I played with Barbies with my sister. Did you really? I really did. I mean, what kind of Barbies? That's a good question. I don't know. They didn't make a lasting impact on me. Were you always like longing for like more masculine coded toys or it didn't really matter? I don't think, I think I was just happy to play with my sister because I liked her. <laughs> That's very sweet, actually. <laughs> I mean, I had a bunch of Spider-Man toys as well because I loved right. Spider-Man. But that was something I would just do on my own because my sister didn't care about Spider-Man. So I'd play with Barbies with her so that we could do something together. And then... I also had one of those little like cars that you sit in and drive around. 
Did you ever have like any male friends who would come around and like horse around with you? Uh, at that age, I don't. I I had. I was. I think I was friends with more girls than guys. Damn, Tony. At that age, some things <laughs> never change, eh? Swinging down at three years old. <laughs> Swinging. <laughs> no, I mean like I remember my next door neighbor. I think it was just because the people I knew. <laughs> The age-appropriate friends were women. Yeah. At the time. Right. So, like, yeah, like, my next-door neighbor had an older brother. My older brother was friends with him, and I was kind of friends with the younger sister. Mm. And then when I moved into my foster parents, my peers then mixed and bought probably more guys than girls for a long time. But nobody's ever really forced around. Like, you didn't have any, like, negative male peer pressure as a kid or, like... My brothers were, like, probably the most, the, like, you know, punching and getting annoyed and beating you up, that kind of thing. Yeah, my buddies, like, I never had buddies who were... Well, no, that's not true. One time, as a little kid, and this is a story that I actually, my friend actually tells on a regular basis because he still remembers vividly, but this is my next door neighbor who lives down the street from me, okay. like a very close friend of mine, like, you know, care about him deeply. Uh, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he had another friend of ours over in his basement and we were like four years old. And this friend at the time had some behavioral issues and he, like, he was fixated on, on cap guns and handcuffs and so he handcuffed me to a chair and then he lost the key like we couldn't find the key anywhere so i was so so i was handcuffed to a chair in my buddy's basement and his mom his poor mom like must have been probably late late 20s at a time come to think of it uh she had to cut the handcuffs off my hands Uh, like it was a whole ordeal (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it, uh, it took like I, I, I it might have taken like half hour, forty minutes or something, but uh, yeah, it was quite something. And his mom to this day will will tell that story. <laughs> she was just preparing you for the life of being metaphorically handcuffed to your chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How you, I think you'd be struggling a lot more without that story in your life. Right, without that little bit of preparation? Yeah. Yeah, there's more to it than that. Like, I think... Like, he just swallowed the key and ran away? I don't know if he swallowed the key or if it, like, fell somewhere behind the computer desk. I don't know what it was, but it was nowhere to be found. Did you ever have a fascination with eating weird things that you're not supposed to eat? Or, no. like, putting foreign objects inside you? No, I was very like, I was very like rule, like got to be a good boy when I was little. Yeah. Like I would never do anything my dad told me not to do. Really? Until about 14 or 15. What was the first time you broke a rule? Maybe when I stole booze from my parents' liquor cabinet. Dang. Yeah. Did you get caught? Uh, probably, but they never told me. So you never got confronted? Did you no. have like time out to anything? As a kid? I used well. I used to have like you, you didn't get spanked, did you? No, I'd have like I had very verbal fights with my parents because I couldn't really act out physically. So I just, 
Use my words. <laughs> so what was discipline though? Was it just like go to your room? Go to your room. They take the Nintendo out of my bedroom or they like, uh, I don't know. They, they, what was uh, the worst punishment you ever got? The worst punishment I ever got. Oh, I think there was one summer where my mom like put away the Nintendo. That was pretty devastating. For the whole summer? No, not for the whole summer, but for like a stretch of weeks. Do you remember what you did? No, I don't really remember what I did, but I do. I I have the distinct feeling of doing something wrong as a child and then having to go apologize to my parents. And I always felt terrible when whenever that occurred. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was a pretty good kid, honestly. I, there aren't a lot of memories I have of... Of apologizing? There, there were a few moments where I would... More when I was, like, in my sort of, like, pre-pubescent teen years. Yeah. And I would start to push my parents' buttons on purpose. But even then, I could only... I could see you doing it only, like, in a comedic fashion. No, no. There were times where I would definitely just get frustrated with something and i would like i would try to like lawyer my way through it mm. and it would just get frustrating because they're like that's the rule you can't just like negotiate your way out of this one well in my family like both my parents are quite hot-headed they're they're quick to anger like they're they're reasonable people people and they're not like abusive or anything like that but they are hot-headed so you know like we we tend to <laughs> we tend to have disagreements but they're not really like long-lasting or devastating or anything it's just that the possibility for disagreement is there i think i was probably on time out three times yeah you have that vibe honestly like of someone who never gets angry if i ever like got angry around you i feel like you would be you wouldn't really be sure what to do uh yeah i get i don't like confrontation i get uncomfortable when I'm a bystander to a fight. Unless I don't know who the two people are, then I get curious. Because I want to, like, play judge and jury. Mm, you want to mitigate the issue? Not even. I just want to see whose side it would be on hypothetically. <laughs> like, I don't want to participate. And I don't want to step in and be like, I think you're being unreasonable. I just want to be like, ooh, feisty. Like, I just want to watch it happen. You ever have that scenario where you're in another person's home and the climate of their family dynamic is completely different from what you're accustomed to oh yeah i think that's always the case because my family's dynamic every family's dynamic is very unique but mine is a specific breed and i feel like the people i surround myself with myself with just seem to have different families it's strange how like how you can you like your friend's personality is often like a function or it's reflected in the in the vibe of their home yeah absolutely i used to think that a lot like i have one friend who's just like an innate like clown like a funny easygoing relaxed individual yeah and his parents like they literally nothing can come out of their mouth without it being funny and right. when, and they don't do it intentionally. It's just like their vibe. It's the, the way that they see the world. And it's so strangely infectious. It's like... Oh, it's super infectious. It's And I like going there, it would be like kind of like a reprieve or like a relief. You're like, oh, this could be how reality is. Not to say that my home vibe 
is like drastically different. But my parents definitely don't. They don't tend toward humor unless like they're in that particular mode. And then they're they're quite like fearful, not fearful, but how do you put it? It's hard to say. My dad, unless you jolt him out of it, is by default quite pessimistic. And I don't think it's I don't think it's his intent to like drag down the mood or to be overly self-serious. It's just like his default behavior. And yeah. he can be very goofy and quite fun even. And like I can even do my my dad voice at him. When I'm trying to point out something silly that he said, and he will laugh and go along with like it is like cordial and good natured. Mm-hmm. But you definitely have to like force my parents to enjoy themselves or else they will be like very worried or anxious by default. And that's kind of hard to, to live with 24-7. I get that. Yeah. My parents are somewhat similar. Like my dad sort of has two modes. It's either we're going to have a very high-level intellectual conversation about chemtrails or whether or not the Earth could be flat. Those are fun because it makes you think creatively, but they're also basically debates. Like, not heated, but they're you're, like, trying to formulate your thoughts strategically almost. And then the other side is just absolute goofiness, where it's just like, like what I do with you, where it's just taking the bar as long as you can of just nonsense mm-hmm. to just get a rise out of the other person. Mm-hmm. And then just yes and. He's very good at yes and. That's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. What was I going to say? We were talking about growing up, and, and I was asking you about whether you hung out a lot with boys your age, and you said only your brothers. Did you Did you have people like wrestle with you well, not wrestle the worst my friends ever did was like wrap me in blankets and then like beat me with pillows but that's pretty standard uh pretty standard sleepover behavior yeah i definitely had friends like they would like put my hands in my straps on my chair and then just like walk away and be like are you coming because <laughs> they knew i wouldn't be able to drive my chair but i i think people were generally hesitant to hit me because no. I looked very breakable. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Like, I didn't. I didn't mean like, oh, did you have guy friends who like hit you? But I, I mean, like, just somebody who was like irreverent or not necessarily overly cautious around you physically. I didn't have a physical relationship with guy friends for the most part. Like again, my brothers, specifically one brother that would definitely take his frustrations out physically but um, no attendance i'm definitely a guy attendance who would throw me around more than most people right yeah that's kind of more like what i mean when you talk about your siblings like there's a higher chance than normal that they might have behavioral problems yeah for sure but i what am i trying to allude to you just want to know if i've been beat up before no not beat up like I don't know if I can take a punch. No, if you've ever had like like friends who refuted the idea that you're fragile. Uh, attendance, for sure. That I guess I became friends with because of that. Like, I could tell that they didn't treat me like some China doll. Yeah. Like, I used to have one attendant who would just come. I think I've told you this. He would just come in, pick up the bottom of the bed, 
lift it like a foot off the ground and then oh, just gosh. drop it. And that's how you'd wake me up in the morning. Yeah, some stuff like that. And it does, does make you respect them when you're like, oh, okay, they don't see you as super fragile. But I mean, I am more fragile than most people, you know? Definitely not as fragile as I think people think. Yeah. But, I mean, like, if you wanted to, you could probably, like, do some damage. <laughs> what? I don't actually worry about you in that sense. Like, I never worry, like, like, is Anthony going to get hurt? That thought's never occurred to me. Is that bad? I mean, I've definitely been hurt before. Yeah. Like, just getting roughed around, but... Probably Jack is the most abusive presence in your life, eh? Jack definitely scratches me a lot, but... I think the fear with him is that he's going to jump up on my chair one day while, my, while I'm driving and hit the joystick or move my arm. And then I'll just be driving full speed towards the wall. And he's just going to be like, why are we doing this? How close have you come to that occurring? The closest is probably like he'll stand on my chair right on the horn. And the horn is like beeping. I almost said blaring, but. It sounds like a microwave. Yeah, that's true. It does. He'll just like look around and go, why are you making that noise? Oh. But if he took another step, it would be pretty dangerous. That would be a fun a fun concept for a cartoon about disability. A cat that keeps accidentally fucking with its owner by being a cat. We should do that. Yeah. Actually, I'd like to transition over to the short film that we watched just briefly. Well, it was a brief short film. Yeah, I kind of have some problems with it. Or not problems with it, but like it made me think about some things. Okay, let's transition then. What was the film, the short film you actually watched? Should we just do the whole Lord's Prayer? Yeah, uh, we could, yeah. Do you remember it? The Lord's Prayer? Yeah, you're a Catholic. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, bread. Uh, Give us some bread. Wait, wait. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us some bread. No, you're fucking with I can't remember the next line. That is the next line. Our Give us some bread. bread. As we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Good Lord. I said that every day as a fucking five-year-old. Oh, yeah. What is wrong with life? Oh, man. We watched Forgive Us Our Trespasses. Oh, yeah. And it's a very short film on Netflix about, I guess it's about Action T4, like uh, Hitler's plan to eliminate disabled people. In 1939? Yeah. Well, the law came about before that. There was a law in, like, 33 uh, called the Law for the Prevention of Progeny with Hereditary Diseases, I think is what it was called. Basically being, if you have a disease, you shouldn't have children. So they were sterilizing disabled kids. Whoa. Uh, and that happened like six years earlier. But then, yeah, in 39, there was a, an actual movement, for lack of a better word, to go out and find incurably sick disabled people and either kill them or sterilize them. Right. So the movie starts out with a quote from Dietrich. Um, which is how you say his name. Sorry, you had something in your throat? Yes, 
uh, and the quote is, the test of the morality of a society is what it does for its children. I've heard that quote in other fashions as well, the measure of a... In other factions or fashions? I, like in other fashions, like, I don't know, the measure of a community is how well it treats its women, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it should just be the measure of society is how we treat each other. <laughs> Fair enough. Be nice, bro. Right. So uh, if I, I could get a quote that just says, be nice, bro. <laughs> just to be nice. So I'm trying to do it in all the different languages. <laughs> um, what is the plot of the movie? All right, so it starts out, a woman is teaching economics or something, Nazi finances, and it's basically like, all right, so how much does it cost to have disabled people around, and is it worth it? Or more specifically... So, if the German family costs 550 Reichsmark a day to live, but the cost to feed and care for one person with a hereditary disease is 12 Reichsmark a day, what is the difference in value lost to the German people? If you have half of an arm, you don't need a full shirt. I don't really understand the question. What What is the answer to that question? The cost of living for a family with a disabled person is $17 as opposed to 5 I think, yeah, it's, it's like saying, haven't you heard this argument before? There's like a bunch of theological theories that letting disabled people be born, if we know in advance that they're going to be disabled, is too expensive, and so we shouldn't because it's a burden on society, and it's a burden on their own happiness. So we should actually uh, abort these children. Oh my God, where are you reading about this? I don't remember. I was actually trying to find it for today's episode, and all I could find was this stuff on the Germans. But, I mean, like, I understand what people think. I've definitely heard stories of people who get tested before birth, like they, they find out they're pregnant, they get tested, and then they find out that their child is going to have some very rare, untreatable genetic condition that causes all sorts of health complications, like very, very short lifespan, like maybe days, and they opt to not have that child. It's a tough argument to try to figure out are we deciding the opportunity cost? of having an able-bodied person instead of a disabled person. Yeah. How can you predict the nature of the suffering that you're preventing? Right. And whether that somehow negates the value of a human life? I don't know. It's an impossible. But yeah, I guess you're saying, like, economically, let's say my cost of living is maybe higher in some predictable ways because of my disability. Like, I have to... I'll have more medication or, or assistive technology or medical equipment or whatever. And so I will therefore be a higher financial economic burden on my family, my community, the society, etc. And so some people's argument, some people some people's response to that question is Well, if it costs so much to take care of these people, what do we do? You killed them. We killed them. 
if you killed them. So that's what this movie is about. Killing disabled kids. <laughs> Looks from side to side. Yep. Basically, turns out that teacher is the mom of one of the students. One of the students who happens to be uh, an amputee. Very cool because they actually don't hold back in terms of, you know, like the second shot of the, the movie is like him sharpening his pencil, which is a great shot. That made me selfishly think about all the meetings I had with occupational therapists like three or four times a year when I was in elementary school and how they always had a new apparatus for me to use to try to take my own notes. Oh, yeah, like a new shape of a pencil grip or something. Yeah, and how I was always behind in my note-taking, except in math class. If Jamie is always behind on his mathematics note-taking, should we kill him? Or get him a new pencil grip. <laughs> a new pencil grip? What is the opportunity cost of killing him versus purchasing new pencil grip? <laughs> Do we get him a portable computer? <laughs> or is he worth just getting pens? Just getting what? Pens. Pens, oh. I was one of the few students that got to write my notes in pen. Oh, did you? Yeah, because they were easier for me to use. I didn't have to push as hard. Mm. So didn't you, uh, did you have an SSP take note for you ever? No, I could still write fairly well up until the end of high school. So you never had an SSP do anything for you? And I don't actually know what an SSP is. Student support person. Nope, didn't have one of those. What? It was just Tony by himself? Yeah, I, uh, well, I mean, I had someone help me, like, pee and eat. And eat. But they didn't come with me to class. Was there ever a point where you could eat by yourself? Yeah, all the way up to like second year university. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I would, uh, I fed myself in a calf at, at Carlton for at least the first year. And then it just got slower and slower. And I started accepting help more and more often. And then I got the feeding tube, got very self conscious, was told I shouldn't eat again. Uh, and then just stopped eating for a while. I don't know. It's like, how, how is it that medical professionals always like issue these nefarious constraints upon disabled people? I the cost e of you eating is very high. You <laughs> may choke and you may die. <laughs> so instead, you will eat through the liquid tube in your stomach. <laughs> exactly. Like, this is actually my one complaint about the movie. Oh, you haven't even like, said anything nice yet. Oh, well, I don't know. It was kind of engrossing. Uh, there was a lot of tension. I was concerned for the disabled person fleeing for their lives from a... But like, you're just trying to race through all the good things to get <laughs> to the thing you dislike. Yeah, it was fine. I really liked it. It was good. I wish it was longer. I really enjoyed myself. I watched it a few times. But then this one part, <laughs> okay, continue. What did you dislike about the movie? Shout out to Ashley Eakin, by the way, who directed this movie, has a disability, um, is really open about it, and is using it to make shorts like this. There's another one she did that is also going to be watched by us for this 
hopefully one day we can have her on here to talk about it and you can tell her what you disliked about her nine minute notes. <laughs> well, it's not a complaint so much as like it's just kind of a like a preference of mine specifically. Yeah. I just didn't like what that the Germans were doing at the time. <laughs> yeah, like they shouldn't have been doing that. <laughs> like that's why this movie sucked for me because my my one complaint is that like this probably shouldn't have happened. <laughs> probably. <laughs> but like just like a short story about the evils of disability does not have to be so pronounced. I think the evils of disability can be incredibly subtle and that's probably the far more effective. Do you think it has far more effect on the able-bodied viewer though? Yeah, because because like when you say that like the enemy of disability is Nazism, it's like no duh. Did you know about this action T4 thing? No, I didn't. So that's why this isn't really a legitimate complaint. I'm just talking about like villains of disability. Okay. I just think that villains of disability need to be need to not be aware that what they're doing is wrong. And and, and that's that's how you teach people about ableism. I see what you're saying. Cuz people would be, just watch this and go, "Yeah, it's a good thing we don't do this anymore. Guess we're good." Yeah, well, yeah, there's that. But then, <laughs> then there's also the weird trope that I noticed myself having in the movie which which, which is that like because of uh, Inglorious Bastards and because of the nature of like modern movie villains, I now expect my villains to have a ton of charisma and to effectively steal the show. So I think Christoph Waltz has spoiled depictions of Nazis for me going forward because he brings so much like panache yeah. and like performance and just like presence to his roles whenever he's being the villain and so i i was like waiting for the moment where the nazi uh who chases down our wheelie hero like has some kind of monologue about how like disability is i don't know polluting the bloodline or something yeah i would agree with that so it's a 12 or 14 minute movie i think it's like nine minutes before credits and i would say the first five minutes is really really good i was super engrossed and yeah. the way it starts in that classroom talking about with that, that opening quote and then talking about this economic incentive to fix the disability problem. They don't actually talk about Action T4 till the end, but it's very, very engrossing. And then you're right, it gets into the part where he just becomes like born without a right arm supremacy. <laughs> supremacy <laughs> oh good one yeah well i mean it reminded have you ever seen that movie hannah yeah it reminded me of hannah true yeah it did it did the the action sequence where the kid overpowers the nazi was kind of unsatisfying for me yeah i again the inglorious bastards effect like made me want him to like poke the Nazi's eye out with his prosthetic or yeah. use use his prosthetic in some sort of defiant statement of I'm not even sure why he went to get his prosthetic. Like why is his prosthetic hidden in a barn on the yeah. other side of town? Yeah. Well why it's can't like he just have it with him because it didn't serve any I thought he was gonna put on like a 
rifle-mounted prosthetic or something. Yeah, yeah, me too. Actually, I thought there was going to be some kind of twist. I it's it's like you know in those Bourne movies uh, where his weapon cache is never where where he currently is. So he has to go recruit it from some remote location and then like assemble his gun and and yeah. shoot Clive Owen in the face. Yeah, his mom is like, it's time. Everything's in the barn. And he <laughs> goes to the barn and there's just... There's like it. one other fellow disabled person just kind of sitting there waiting awkwardly in a bale of hay. Yeah. So yeah. then he does get heroic and he's like, I'll distract him and go on and then they leave. So yeah. he puts on his, his prosthetic, which, you know, it's a 1939 prosthetic. Yeah. But... It looks like an oversized bottle opener. Yeah, well, it's basically like a wrench wrapped in leather. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought maybe he had a purpose for it, like it was ready to be attached to a horse saddle or something. Yeah, it was a de-Nazi, de prosthetic. Yeah, he was going to be able to, like, castrate his opponents or something. Right, right, right. But that didn't happen, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and then he dies overpower the Nazi somewhat unconvincingly. He just like kicks him and then Nazi man goes flying. Yeah. Nazi man accidentally shoots himself actually. He's not right. a very he's actually Chief Inspector Clouseau of the Third Reich. What's that? He's actually Chief Inspector Clouseau of the Third Reich. That's a little Peter Sellers joke for people born in nineteen seventy. Okay, good. Because I was like, did I fall asleep in history class? What's <laughs> yeah, but um I think it's great. Um, I think the fact that, first of all, like, you know, we've covered a lot of stuff. And we always say go watch something first uh, before we talk about it and spoil it. You might as well just go watch this anyway, because it's literally nine minutes. For sure. It's like the video version of a tweet. Right, yeah. You might as well just go watch it. Yeah. We don't even need to be covering it. Why are we talking about it? Just go fucking watch it. You yeah, fuckers. I mean, like, we just talked about the whole movie. <laughs> literally we've covered it line by line yeah we could just play it at this point <laughs> so um i was kind of thinking like what would this movie be if you were in it and it was like shorter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just walk in and <laughs> a cue <Please> come here. <laughs> oh dear no i thought it would be funny like like you're Attendants come into the office and they're German and they're like, "Good morning, Tony. Uh, we are sorry, but uh, we don't have the resources today to protect you from the Germans. And so, <laughs> if they come by today, they uh, they may shoot you in the face. Um, perhaps we will be able to help you tomorrow, but uh, alas, we are short-staffed. Uh, good luck to you. Auf Wiedersehen. Yes." Um... We will not be able to give you a shower today, so you'll have to stay stinky in bed. <laughs> we are hoping that the best defense against the Nazis is your body odor. Not a French. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Your body odor, and we brought you a croissant. <laughs> <laughs> it is the only kindness we can afford you. This is your consolation croissant for not having a shower. We call it Cross-translation. <laughs> oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> so oh man. This episode has been outrageous so far. Totally. Want to play Wheel Breakers? Oh, man. I didn't think you'd be up for it. I don't even have one. 
But yes, let's do it. Wheel breakers. I hope we never make us like a demo for a serious broadcaster. <laughs> um, so you get to be ambulatory outside of your wheelchair, you know. But the catch is that uh, you can't shower until someone, like unprompted, unsolicited, tells you that you smell bad. I like this. So I'm already trying to figure out who I can talk to, where I can go where people will be most blunt, honest with me. Okay. So. Wait, do you think that I'm not honest with you? I don't think you would tell me if I smelled bad. At least not until it was way too late. (laughs) So I need to find someone who would be like, like right away, like, oh, did you shower today? Where would I go? That is tricky. What's the strat here? You can't go to people who, do you want to find someone who is super honest? And I can't ever tell someone, right? Like, I no. can't prompt them. I can't ask them. No. You have to literally wait until, they're, until they look at you, like, with a, with a furrowed, like, upper lip. You know that, that, you know how people make an unconscious, like, little snarl yeah. when something smells, like a stink face? They're like, oh, my God. Is there a terrible. disability that makes you really, really hypersensitive to smell? Because I could find that Facebook group and then become friends with some of those people. I would say that people who are in culinary school probably have sensitive olfactory glands. That's true. I could work at like a fine dining restaurant. Yeah, but you'd have to work at one that doesn't smell bad by default. Yeah, I think I was trying to imply that with the word fine dining. Mm, fine dining, yeah. Like I any feel place, like... Any place where like blue cheese is popular. Is popular? Yeah. But blue cheese smells burnt. Oh, that yeah. That, sorry, that was my example of where not to go. Oh, where not to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's a really good answer that I'm missing here. I would. I think I would probably be able to figure this out. Maybe not, because even if I figured it out, I work at a fine dining restaurant, and then they came in, and uh, people have been saying, you stink. <laughs> Do you think they'd say that over and over again? They would just eventually fire me for stinking. I feel like you could find a partner, and it's part of their love language to playfully point out when you're when you stink. Yeah, and then they're like, you know, they just tell you. Can I say stuff like, "I really like it when people are super honest with me"? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's sort of that's indirect enough that you could say it. Yeah. Okay, but I wouldn't be able to say, "I really like it when people tell me I stink." <laughs> <laughs> no you could be like i'm devastated when i smell bad in front of you i think i can pull it off i'm already looking for a relationship where people don't try to be around and brush with me so like tell me i stink that would be so cool and i could like use the pavlovian response so like every time they tell me i stink i'm like really really affectionate right after like i go shower and then like buy them a nice thing and do something nice for them, spend some quality time doing their favorite activity. And like, damn, if I just tell him he stinks, he's just nice to me every day. And right. then I almost like bake it in, like for lack of a better word, train them to tell me I stink. <laughs> I bet you do a lot of training of people to some extent. I train attendance. Yeah. Not to tell me I stink. Right. But 
For sure, man. Do you have a wheel breaker for me? Um, let me think. I'm going to try to keep it on similar tracks as the one you give me. I'm going to make you able-bodied. Uh-huh. But you can never use the thing you're supposed to use to clean yourself. So, like, you can use toothpaste to wash your hair, but you can't use shampoo. You could use, like, dish soap to wash your body, but you can't use regular soap. So you're always just going to smell good, but, like, not what you're supposed to. Like, you can brush your teeth with baking soda and vinegar or something ridiculous. Something that isn't going to harm you and might actually get you clean. Wait, wait. <laughs> I, I'm just wrapping my head around this. So um, basically all my the tenets of my personal hygiene are weird. Yeah, you're just like, it's like nobody taught you how, what products go with what parts of the shower. Okay, but then so what that what will end up happening is like, let's say I have a partner. Uh, and that partner is going to take one look at my shower and be like, what the fuck are you doing? No, no, no. Because you're going to have all the right stuff. You just don't use it the right way. If they look at your shower, they'll be like, yeah, that's normal. But then <laughs> if they shower with you, you'll be like, can, can you grab the toothpaste? I just got to wash my hair real quick. And then <laughs> I just got to wash my hair. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> that's so dumb. Uh, well... Okay, but then, like, she's going to try to, like, rectify that. You're going to, okay, how, how about this? What add in the fact that you think everyone is wrong for doing it the way they do it. So you're going to be like, no, what? Why wouldn't you use shampoo to brush your teeth? Like, you're just going to, you don't know that you're doing it right. I, I think the people around me would use, like, common sense to peer pressure me into, like, using products as they are intended and then i would and then i would refuse then you have to be able you have to go back to being disabled and then and then they'd be like you're such a weird stubborn asshole and then yeah but how many people know your showering ritual as it is well i mean but, but that's what i'm saying like when you have a partner like they know maybe they'll just get used to it like they'll they'll eventually they'll get so frustrated because they'll always be at the bottom of the tube of toothpaste. Yeah. Like even though they just replaced the toothpaste. What and also wouldn't it be toxic to brush my teeth with a fucking shampoo? No, maybe I don't know. Maybe if you used like L'Oreal Kids or something. <laughs> oh my god. It doesn't have to be that you use shampoo to brush your teeth. It could be like a different what if you just used what if you used vinegar for everything? Oh, so I just smell like salad dressing all day? Yeah. You can brush your teeth with vinegar at least. Can you? Sure, you can eat vinegar. Why can't you brush your teeth with it? Ugh. These weird personal hygiene concessions are difficult. What do I use a loofah for? The loofah is a good question. It'd be funny if like, I actually put the toothpaste in a loofah and then that's how I brush my teeth. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah. and then you wash your body with a toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Imagine scrubbing your balls with a toothbrush. <laughs> Honestly, that might work well. You get in there on the little, you know, the little creases and stuff. <laughs> I know the crease. You're such a weirdo. <laughs> That's how they tell you to wash your shoes. <laughs> are you saying my balls are old leather? Eventually, they will be. <laughs> yeah. So that's the deal. You just shower weird. 
I'm a weird showerer. Yeah, your hair always smells like toothpaste. Your breath always smells like vinegar. You know what's funny? Personal hygiene concessions make me feel more disabled than a wheelchair. Okay. Like in in the moment, I mean like not aggregately, but like, you know what I'm saying? You know what the fuck I'm saying. Yeah, but I want you to say it. Because like, I mean, we, I, we've talked about this a thousand times, so I don't need to reiterate, but I'm just saying like, if this wheel breaker was novel enough, I would just end up feeling like a, like a, a wheelie again. Like if you said I could be 100% able-bodied, but I have to use a bedpan every day, I'd be like, fuck you. You wouldn't do that? I probably would do it, but I would still be like, fuck you. Oh, yeah. That's kind of the point. If I yeah. give you a wheel breaker and you were like, thank you, then I'm probably not doing it right. Yeah, but I'm just saying like in terms of the things that actually yeah. make disability real, like... What makes you feel disabled versus what society says is a disability are yeah. often two very different things. For sure. And like, I would, I'd be fascinated to talk to more people with acquired disabilities who talk about how the climate of their social life changed as their needs evolve. Yeah. It does feel hard to have to be constantly reconciling with yourself that it's okay for you to need more help in these areas. Uh-huh. Like, I had to get a friend to help me mail something at the post office because it was still too cold for me to get to the post office where I would feel safe getting back. To be fair, the post office is so lame. Fuck, fuck snail mail. That's it's like the most, like, least accessible shit ever. Yeah, well, you can't email physical devices. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Imagine if you just, like, scan it and upload it. Yeah, like three printed out on the other end. Fuck it. That would be sweet. Yeah. So you didn't answer it. Would you take this deal? No. I yeah, I'd wash my balls with a toothbrush. And not soap. <laughs> no. Okay. Wait, maybe you could just make it a thing that you don't like to shower with your partner. Like, oh, sorry, I just have this weird thing that I like to shower alone, and then they would never find out. That's no fun. Yeah. Come on now. That that's like limiting. The kinds of encounters. And remember, if they shower you and they grab the soap to wash your body, you have to be like, no, toothpaste, please. What? Like, you can't let them choose the right thing. All these wheel breakers basically amount to us having to find a really open-minded, kinky partner. I mean, isn't that already the case? <laughs> that's very true. Oh, that's so true. Already what we're looking for, someone who's not like, I don't know. It's like, kind of, well, okay, fine. It's nothing. What'd you say? I was just lamenting that it's true that we always get kinky partners by default. Not that kink is that there's anything wrong with kink or whatever. You have to be open minded, I think, because it's when people think about, you know, their ideal partnership or whatever, they're looking at examples they've seen in pop culture, in social media, etc. Yeah. And as this whole podcast is about, there aren't many representations of us in those forms. You actually hear that a lot. Like when people fall in love, they're like, yeah, I wasn't actually expecting this person to be my type. Yeah, Like, exactly. well, well, where were you getting those expectations from? Right. And I think that shorts like this are good because, you know, you're right. Hitler isn't great. <laughs> but it's good to see an authentic representation of a disabled person on screen because then as a kid, you can look and see these 
well-known, well-respected, famous disabled people and go, oh, there is a path for me to success. Whereas when we were kids, it's and still today, but more so when we were kids, you look around and you don't see yourself reflected in any of these ideal portrayals. So you think that you just don't have a shot. Well, that's I was thinking about this earlier. Like people are talking a lot on Twitter. Prominent disabled tweeters are talking about the importance of CODA being considered and winning the Oscar for Best Picture. And then I was thinking about whether or not the Oscars are actually even an institution anymore that decides like what is worthwhile uh, in the realm of movies. Because like last year, for example, Nomadland won. And I don't remember a single thing about that movie other than, than that it starred Francis McDormand. And like fucking Green Book won, for God's sake, which is one of the, it's just one of the most rote and poorly crafted uh, movies about racism ever, according to a majority of people who have seen it. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just... I see what you're saying, but Oda, in my opinion, was a great movie and deserves to win that. I okay, like Coda deserves accolades. Do not get me wrong; it's an excellent movie. It was very moving. Of the nominees, which one do you think is better than Coda? I don't think there's actually any film better than Coda. I'm just saying that for it to get the Oscar doesn't mean what it meant ten, twenty, or thirty years ago. Maybe, but it still means something. I it it sort of does. Like I kind of think that the that the deciders of a successful piece of pop culture nowadays are more personalities on YouTube or social media or something like podcasts, popular podcasts. I don't know. There's all kinds of uh, tastemakers nowadays, and I don't think the Oscars really constitute that anymore. Like, I agree, but I don't think that means that, like, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think that you're right. Tastemakers are very vast now and, Maybe the Oscars isn't even as relevant as it used to be, or maybe it's not even relevant at all. But winning the award is still a great leap for something, for people to, even if it's those people that make movies and are behind the Oscars, to say this movie deserves the nod. I guess so. It's better than not giving it to them. Again, though, like nobody can tell me anything about Nomadland a year after it won Best Picture. So, you know, I just don't want Coda to be relegated to, oh, that was that art house picture about disability that they gave the Oscar to last year. Like, uh, is it actually something I need to see? But now you're saying that getting the Oscar actually bodes poorly for a movie? Not poorly, but it, it is sort of a meme now. That the Oscars are irrelevant. I guess. I see what you're saying. But I'm not going to be like, oh no, give it to another movie. I, I would much rather, uh, like for me, being obsessed with movies, there are specific YouTube channels that I follow. And if they told me to watch Coda not having seen it, the, like I would be way more inclined to watch the film. Uh, For sure. Or, or based like even just the Metacritic score of Coda should should be enough to speak for itself. And um, I I would rather 
it not be diminished by um, this sort of trope that the Oscars are out of touch. And so anything touched by the Oscars is inherently out of touch. Yeah. So that's like, I agree with you that there are way more valuable metrics now for what makes something good or hard to figure out if something is good. But I also disagree that being nominated or getting awarded something by the Oscars is is inherently detracting from its value. Yeah, fair enough. I I just think that they're mutually exclusive. I think any recognition is good recognition. I just can't remember the last Oscar-winning film that had any staying power in my mind. Didn't The Shape of Water win? Exactly. And And you loved that movie. I hated it the first time I saw it, though. Yeah, but then we talked about how much you loved it on this podcast. And we are the ultimate tastemakers. (laughs) My mind does change. That's true. Yeah. I still want it to win. I mean, I haven't seen all of the other movies. I plan on watching as many as I can. I've seen Licorice Pizza and Nightmare Alley and The Power of the Dog. I'm trying to think what else. But Coda was my favorite of all those. Agreed. It was a very, very good film. Yeah, there were like two scenes in that movie that fucking got me glassy-eyed. And again, it's just like, at this point, I think we're still in the phase where any representation is good representation, or at least recognition. If it wins an Oscar, I agree with you that that doesn't mean much necessarily, but it still means it won an Oscar, and I don't yeah. think that detracts from the value. It could win a it could win a Kids Choice Award, and I'd still be happy that someone is looking at it. Yeah. So you're talking about the value of eyeballs irrespective of how they got there. Yeah, I, that's my ultimate goal with with these discussions is just the more people can see the more versions of disability on screen, the more normalized it becomes and the less of a mental hurdle it is to be seen as equal or valuable or lovable or any of the things we've been wanting. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Is there any other final comments you'd like to say? I like licorice pizza. That is not what I was opening the door to. <laughs> Just wanted to sneak that in there. All right. Anything else? No, that's it. That's it, baby. Maybe next week I'll be more game. Yeah. Go on your bike. Yeah. You should get one of those sit-down bikes where you literally just lie down and pump your feet. Have you ever seen those people that ride bikes while they're like lying down? That sounds great. Yeah, I think you should get one of those. You could even just ride it around town. You're talking about recumbent bikes. Yeah, exactly. Get one of those. Talk to you next week. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone.